When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan, and this is our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition, where Mary Kay Cabot answers questions from our Football Insider subscriber. So of course, I'll tell you about Football Insider. Well, you get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. You get an exclusive newsletter every single day to your inbox. I actually wrote the one for Tuesday. It's a member of our Browns team that writes it every single day. And you can be one of our text subscribers, which is where we get questions for things like this and do other cool events for our tech subscribers. So again, that's cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. And now let's get right to it. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All right, it is our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Let's get right to it, Mary Kay. Robert Seltzer from El Paso, Texas. Hey, Mary Kay. Every Browns fan is excited about their prospects this year, and rightly so, but is there any danger that the Browns are headed towards the same catastrophe they experienced with Freddie Kitchens? Browns fans have tasted disappointment before. Will they have to do so again? You know, the operative word in that question was Freddie Kitchens. (laughs) That was the difference between 2019 and 2021 coming up. This is an excellent coaching staff. And there were some good coaches on Freddie's staff as well. But this is a very, very organized coaching staff. They have a plan. They know what they're doing. They work very well together. There was not a plan in 2019. I had talked to people that were on that staff just about how disorganized it was. And some of them had never seen anything like that before uh, in their entire careers. That is the opposite of these guys. I mean, they're organized down to the very last detail. And I think it's going to be even better this year in terms of what they can do because they have a whole year together under their belt. And the other thing is they don't panic. Like they are unflappable. They don't flinch. So even if they go out against like Kansas City and lose by two scores, three scores. They're not going to panic. They're not going to flinch. They're going to come right back and take on the Texans in week two. And, you know, like they did last year, right? They got blown out by Baltimore and then they came back and beat Cincinnati a few days later. Mm -hmm. And they also, uh, if you recall, and I know you do, they also got beat up by Pittsburgh. They lost 38 to seven in Pittsburgh. And it just looked like, wow, this is going to be the same old kind of thing. They get blown out by Baltimore. They get blown out by Pittsburgh. They're not ready to be in this, win this division yet. And they got that all turned around. I mean, you remember right after that Pittsburgh game is when Alex Van Pelt said the arrow is pointing up on Baker Mayfield. They could see that the lights were about to come on for him and that they needed to help him and do some things to help him look good. So you're right. This is a staff that they're experienced. They're savvy. They're, they're detailed and they don't panic. The other part of that too, that I think you mentioned is important is the coaching aspect of it. Just from the, you know, they really coached up Baker. They really coached up these young guys to, to contribute. It's just, 
everything just runs so much smoother. Everybody's on the same page, but they're also really focused on coaching guys and getting guys better. Yeah, they're really good at that. I mean, we were just out at rookie mini camp on Friday and we saw that firsthand. We actually heard the coaching points and the teaching and you can just see how thorough they are and how detailed they are. This is a really good coaching staff. Uh, I compare it to the really excellent coaching staffs of Bill Belichick in the early 1990s. It reminds me of those guys. And so many of those guys went on to different kinds of success, whether it was college or whether they stuck with Bill Belichick over the years. Uh, It was just a really good staff uh, that knew how to get the most out of their players. And that's why you see a guy like Donovan Peoples-Jones as a rookie go in and look so polished, have that field awareness, have good hands. I think you'll see a lot of similar stuff this year. Okay, next question. Uh, There were obviously a lot of questions about records and schedules, so let's go here to Hollis in Columbus. Hey, Mary Kay, why are so many pundits and fans so conservative with their Brown season predictions? He thinks 12 and 5 is not an improvement, really. 14 and 3 would be an improvement based on the Browns' additions and seasoning. I mean, what is your expectation, I guess, for this football team? I mean, if they go 12 and 5, which is, you know, a win better than 11 and 5, but they're also playing an extra game, does it matter? I guess, how much does that final record matter in your assessment of this football team? Well, I mean, it's going to matter a lot because I do think that, uh, you know, you want to do everything that you can to try to win the division. But I think we're all still trying to wrap our brains around the 17-game schedule, you know? I mean, to, to say 13 victories, that, that sounds like a lot. That sounds like a lot. But, you know, 13 and four then really wouldn't be out of the question. I would have to say I would probably guess somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 and five. That, that would feel about right to me. But we do also have to remember that this is a tougher schedule than it was last year. It's not that they had some gimme games last year, but they did have some easier opponents last season. And that's really not going to be the case. Now, I mean, if you look back to last season, you know, there was a game in Jacksonville that they almost lost. Pittsburgh rested their starters in the season finale. Uh, You know, you just had some things like that where, you know, I think it's going to be a little tougher this year, depending on certain things. I mean, we don't know who the quarterback yet necessarily is going to be for Green Bay. Uh, We don't really know who the quarterback is going to be for Houston, but I still think it's a tougher schedule. You're going from the fourth easiest schedule in the NFL in 2020 to the ninth toughest in 2021. Now, Pittsburgh and Baltimore have it much worse. They're number one and number two. But still, I think they'll have some tougher football games this year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, there were, I did see an interesting metric where using projected win totals as opposed to last year's record. The Browns' schedule actually came out among the top five easiest. So there is a, a world where maybe their schedule isn't as difficult as, as people think. Now, I don't know that it's that easy. But the, the good news is, uh, you know, the AFC North isn't the toughest division in football anymore. So, you, so you've got that going for you. But really, to me, the record, just be one game better than Baltimore. That's, that's really the number that matters. So whether that's 11 and 6 or 13 and 4 or 15 and 2, the goal is to be one game better than Baltimore because that's sort of how I think the North is going to shake out. Well, first of all, Dan, let me just say, as an English major, I'm very impressed with your math, and you're doing a nice job on the, <laughs> on the fly. Know, yeah, on the fly, on these on the 17-game thing. So kudos to you in that regard. Really, that is going to be the goal. I think we both agree that it's probably going to be that two-horse race between Baltimore, 
and Cleveland. However, I mean, you can never really rule out the Steelers because somehow they know how to win football games. They're just a veteran football team, a veteran longtime coaching staff and a really good front office. And they, they know how to win. So who knows what's going to happen with them this year? I, I think if they had a better offensive line, they'd actually have a chance to be pretty good. You know, I still think it'll, it will come down to Cleveland and Baltimore. And I've said this before. I said it today on uh, Sports for Clee, which was actually yesterday, if you're listening to this. And that is, if I were Baltimore, I would have a quarterback on the roster that can come in and just pass the ball for you in certain situations for a changeup. A lot of teams don't like to do, I mean, teams generally don't like to do that sort of thing where you're and not, I'm not even talking about platooning. I'm talking about just in certain spots to just have a little bit of a different element. If, if Lamar has his limitations, I would try something like that, but we don't know if anything like that is on the horizon. I think it's going to be a really, really tough AFC North race all the way to the end. You know, I don't think Pittsburgh's going to be in it, but I wouldn't sleep on them either because we just know that's an organization mm-hmm. that, that does, like you said, they know how to win football games one way or another. Now, there were plenty of record prediction questions, and I hate making re- – I'm really bad at making record predictions in August. I'm awful at it in May, but we're, we're going to at least entertain these. Hayden says, hey, Mary Kay, do you guys have record predictions? And we'll combine this because Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut, wants to know, hey, Mary Kay, now that the schedule is out, what record would you be satisfied with at the midpoint of the season? I kind of played this game through the midpoint of the season. And let me give you an idea of, of how I got there, Mary Kane. You can tell me what I what you think. Okay. I, I played it pretty conservative. And, and that's sort of where I'm going to lean here early. It's pretty conservative on the record prediction. So I'll just say they lose to Kansas City. They beat Houston and Chicago, which would make them two and one. They split Minnesota and the Chargers, which would make them three and two. They split. Arizona and Denver, which would make them four and three. And then they beat Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, which would put them at six and three headed to new England. I think that would be pretty good. Yeah, I I think so too. I, that sounds really good. I I would think uh, that's where I would have them at about the midpoint of the season, because, you know, they still will be figuring themselves out defensively. And they might come out of the gate really strong and have their mojo down defensively, but it might also take them a little while to figure out exactly how they want to work together and who deserves to be out on the field more than someone else. So I think they're going to be working through a few of those issues early on, especially depending on how much playing time veterans get during the preseason, how many preseason games they end up actually having. It'll probably be the three. But, you know, they'll have to pace themselves and figure out how they want to handle that. So, yeah, I think that would be a respectable uh, record at that point uh, midway through the season. I mean, they obviously have a very difficult starting assignment. I mean, that, that's going to be very, very tricky uh, to start out against the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. The schedule makers were not kind to them in that regard. And then they don't start their AFC North slate until October 31st. And they finish very, very strong uh, with a very AFC North heavy schedule the second half of the season. So it it's really works out for everybody to have, to be on the edge of their seat all the way until the end. And I think the two games to circle in red are November 28th against the Ravens 
and December 12th against the Ravens with the bye week in between. I think those two games will decide the AFC North and we have to wait a long time to get there. To answer Hayden's question, if I had to make a record prediction, like go on the spot today, I probably would land in that 12 win, 12 win range, you know, 12 and five, mm-hmm. just because again, I, I'm going to be a little bit conservative here in May and, and see how, you know, this second year plays out, you, you know, come August, I might decide what I've seen in training camp in the preseason is, you know, best team in the AFC levels, but I'm just not ready to quite go that, that to that spot as far as a regular season record is concerned. So, you know, you had mentioned 12 and five earlier. I think that sounds pretty good. I, I could live with 12 and five. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say again at this point until you kind of get them out on the grass and see what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, just looking at it on paper, they really should be able to do that. They should be able to win uh, 12 games. If this team is as good as we think it is, if the coaching staff is as good as we think it is. Yeah. And then that, that would be really exciting for Browns fans. So hopefully for them, uh, they can pull that off. Mark Moser from Glenside, Pennsylvania says, Hey, Mary Kay, Mike Renner from pro football focus said he'd be surprised if the Browns weren't a top five defense. Now I didn't see that. So we're going on Mark's word here, Uh, but other than injuries, what would most likely prevent this from happening? I I could see that happening. I could see that happening. I, I don't think that that is unreasonable by any stretch of the imagination. So I would not rule that that out maybe top seven, but I I could see top five. They've got everything that you need in the back end. Uh, They've got some new linebackers to, to spruce things up there in the middle and Jadavian Clowney and Tack McKinley, Malik Jackson. I think all those guys will really, really help out on the defensive line. I don't see any reason why they can't be a top five defense. So I kind of agree with that. I I think it's interesting. I mean, that would obviously be a huge leap, but to me, I I just think if if they can get, into the top, I mean, top half of the league is being kind of nice, but if they can get to the top 10 based on what they've invested in this defense, I think that's going to be good enough to, to get them where they need to go. Here's the top five from last year, as far as uh, DVOA from football outsiders, Pittsburgh was one, New Orleans was two, Washington, three, the Rams, four, Tampa Bay, five. And then you get into San Francisco, Indianapolis, Chicago, Baltimore, and Arizona as the next five. So, you know, the Browns could certainly put together a defense that could land, if not in the top five in the top 10, but the thing that would prevent it would be sort of what we've talked about, right? There's a bunch of new pieces. Guys have to get used to playing together. There's going to probably be some growing pains. They have to open against Kansas city. There are, there are some obstacles in the way they could prevent that, but they certainly, they're going to make a leap defensively, wherever that lands them rankings wise. They're going to be a significantly better defense. Yeah, and I think some of it will depend on how guys like Grant Delpit and Greedy Williams come back from their injuries. We know Grant's coming back off the ruptured Achilles. We know Greedy's coming back off the nerve damage in his shoulder. You've got Andrew Billings coming back from a COVID-19 opt-out. So as we've mentioned before, uh, there could be nine new starters on defense on opening day, and that's a lot. But I thought Joe Woods did a nice job of rolling guys in last year. And even when you, you thought, how are they going to get through this football game? Somehow they did. They did a nice job. Yeah, they, they're upgraded at every single position. 
almost, except for their, uh, you know, two incumbents, Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward. So technically they should be a lot better. Again, I think they're playing some better offenses this year, some better quarterbacks than they did last year, especially if you have to face Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes in the regular season. They didn't really have quarterbacks like that to face last year in the regular season, right? Justin Herbert. So yeah, they're going to have to be on point, but I think they can, I think they can do it. It'll be interesting to see how Joe Woods deploys all this. And, and they're going to be relying on young guys, right? Like we want to see Jeremiah Wusu kormoa uh, out there playing a lot. And so there might be some growing pains there too. And the idea is this kind of goes back to that first half of the schedule thing. You just want to be playing better once you get to November and December. I mean, that's the goal. The goal is to be playing at your best when you get into those, those last two months of the season going into the playoffs. And, and if you're doing that, usually those are the teams that end up going deep into the playoffs and winning Super Bowls. Yes. Teams do have good teams learn to hit their stride in November. And that will come in handy for the Browns if they can do that, because that is when all of those AFC North games will be happening. So yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting down the stretch, but that's when they have to be good. And that's when the defense will have its mojo down, just like the offense did last year, hitting its stride midway through the season. All right, let's talk about Odell Beckham. Greg from Westerville. Hey, Mary Kay, will Odell be ready for game one or will it take a few weeks for him to be ready to play? I mean, it looks, he's looked good on what little we've seen from social media with Odell. Uh, But of course, people want to know when he's going to be on the field for this team. I expect him to be on the field and starting that first game. Uh, Guys usually come back from those torn ACLs these days in about nine months. So, He tore it on October 25th, so he should be ready to go by the first game. Uh, Now, will he be 100%? Will he be himself yet? Maybe, maybe not. He looks really, really good uh, in the workouts that we see him. He's, you know, sprinting 100%. uh, You know, he's cutting. He's doing all kinds. He's catching the ball. He's doing all kinds of things. So I think he'll be okay. I think he's one of those sort of freak of nature kind of guys that takes great care of his body and knows what to do in these kind of situations. And I, I think he's going to be amazing pretty much right off the bat. I th- we're going to be at a point. I mean, he, he entered it in the end of October, right? Right. October 25th. So, yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of, I guess if you're going to tear your ACL, you, you'd rather do it earlier in the year than later. You obviously never want to, right. but uh, you know, there's time for him to get back on the field and he, he really doesn't need like a training camp. You know, he just kind of needs to get himself physically ready. He doesn't necessarily need to be out there putting in 100% practices in July. Absolutely not. I mean, he, he's a, a longtime savvy vet. He knows what he needs to do to get himself ready to play. The only thing that needs to happen, of course, is time on task between Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. You want them to have as much time as they can get in training camp and in the preseason to, so that those two guys can hit the ground running. There's going to be a lot of eyes on them. Everybody's going to be wondering, can they do it together? I think they can. I think they can, but you would like them to have some practice together first. Okay, let's move on to another wide receiver. This comes from Roman in Cleveland. Hey, Mary Kay, does Anthony Schwartz's rookie camp make you nervous about his ability to play in the NFL? We talked about this on Monday's pod. He had a number of drops when we were out there on Friday. And so, of course, fans want to know, should we be worried about Anthony Schwartz? No, I don't think so. First of all, it was the first uh, rookie camp practice that he ever set foot in. 
Uh, second of all, he was working with two tryout quarterbacks that he's never even met probably before that day. And I have a feeling, even though we didn't get to go out and watch practice on Saturday and Sunday, I have a feeling he probably corrected his mistakes and hung onto the ball a lot better. I thought he had some rookie jitters. I think, I, I just think, you know, he, he might've been pressing a little bit to try uh, to have a good first showing. And I think that, you know, that caught him a bit, but I bet he came back and did really, really well the next couple of days. And here's the thing. You can't teach that speed. You can't teach 4.26 speed, but you can teach hands. Hands can get better and route running can get better. All of those other things you can kind of coach these guys up on, and they will do that. Now his hands, he's really going to have to work on them. And here's, we talked about this before. Baker Mayfield throws a very, very strong football. Okay. I mean, it comes in hard like a wrecking ball, as I always say. Uh, so he's going to have to be ready for that. And he needs to, wherever he's working out, whether it's here or if he goes back to House of Athlete, and he will get a chance to work out, I think, there again with Baker Mayfield. When he's not working with Baker, he needs to turn that jugs machine up to like extra high, extra fast, just so he can get ready for what he's about to experience. Because it's going to be a lot faster than the passes he was seeing in that, uh, in rookie camp this week. Well, the nice thing is there's not going to be a lot of pressure on him this year to be a guy who gets a ton of targets and is, is going to get the ball thrown his way a bunch. It, you know, it's disconcerting when the first time you see a guy is him dropping passes against air, but it was also one practice. So we'll see where it goes over the spring. We'll see where it goes over the summer, you know, into the season. If he's making catches when it counts, that's what matters. And you know, the reality is he's, he's not going to have to be this team's, like I said, one or two receiver. So if it's going to take time, that's okay. Because you, you drafted that speed and now you hope to develop it. It's worked for some guys, other guys that hasn't. There's lots of fast guys that have been drafted and not made it. And others like Tyree Kill, world-class speed, and he's become one of the best receivers in football. So there's a lot to it, but he's going to have time to develop that. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I think that that's the thing about him is – He's going to have, he's going to make some mistakes and he's going to drop some passes. He's not going to be perfect. Uh, that's the number one thing I think he's going to have to work on is those hands. Uh, so people are going to have to be a little bit patient with him, but if he can get it, and I think he will, he, he can be dynamite on that field. And that's what they're hoping for. I think David Njoku has significantly improved, improved his hands over the years. Uh, I think it can be done. And I think working out with Jarvis Landry, will help Anthony Schwartz come up that learning curve even quicker than he would have. And again, you know, Jarvis is, is a really good case of this. A guy that makes is so reliable and has made so many great catches, had some drop issues last year, but you don't really think about it because he came through when it really mattered. And, and so yeah. you can, you can put those drops behind you if you make the plays when you're supposed to make them. And of course, Jarvis makes, he cancels out every drop with like two spectacular catches. So that's, that's something that Jarvis is just able to do. Another kind of wide receiver question, but a running back question as well. Ty from Montreal. Hey, Mary Kay, what are the odds of Demetric Felton being able to serve as a twofer for the Browns and save a roster spot to let them get creative with maybe keeping another cornerback or offensive lineman? Well, I, you know, I do think you're getting a two for, well, first of all, greetings to uh, Montreal. I love Montreal. My daughter lives in Quebec city right now, which as you know, is not too far from there. So love Montreal. It's an, it's an amazing place. And I can't wait to get back to Canada. One of these days, as far as Dimitri Felton is concerned, you are kind of getting a two for 
with him, but there are enough good receivers on this football team that I don't know that you are going to be able to spare very many of them this year in the name of keeping Demetric Felton as one of those guys. I think he's going to be the running back room guy. I think that's where he'll be. That's where he'll take up the roster spot. And that will give them the opportunity to hang on to Kaderil Hodge and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Richard Higgins, maybe even Jojo Natson, possibly. So, yeah, I don't think that the presence of Demetric Felton means that Kaderil necessarily won't make the team. Yeah, I, I think it's it's when you really start to dip down into like Jojo Natson, right? So mm-hmm. you've, you've got Anthony right. Schwartz, you've got Demetric Felton, you've got, you know, the, those are the guys that really should be concerned, I think, when, when they see Demetric, mm-hmm. Demetric Felton and his ability to play a little bit of wide receiver because there's only so many receivers you can keep, you know, maybe six. So you bump that up, maybe. Uh, yeah. Like, like you said, I don't know that Kaderil is going to be, uh, that, that's kind of a Mike Prefer guy. He, he'll pound yeah. the table and say, I want to keep Kaderil. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and special teams coach gets a couple of those guys. So I don't know. They liked him a lot last year. They liked Kaderil a lot. I guess you would have to consider him to be maybe a bubble guy this year because of, the fact that they did add Anthony Schwartz, but I, I think he'll be okay. And well, you know, it's just a kind of a reminder that the league changes so much and, and teams get better. And so a guy who was like the darling of camp last year is suddenly like, Oh, could he be on the bubble? That's, that's mm-hmm. just sort of how this raw. It's, I mean, it's a good thing when you look at adding talent question about the cornerback position, this comes from Richard from trophy club, Texas, which I have never heard of. Have you ever heard of trophy club, Texas? I I have not. I'm sure it's lovely. Shout out to Trophy Club, Texas. Never hears about A.J. Green. The Browns spent some premium dollars on him as an unrestricted free agent last year. Is is there a chance that he could be in play this year? Probably would have been at rookie minicamp over the weekend had it not been for reduced numbers uh, for A.J. Green. But is he a guy? Should we be talking about him more like we did Curtis Weaver, I guess? as a guy that could maybe become a factor in that cornerback room? Yeah, I think so. I think it's time for him uh, to step up. I thought he had a really nice camp last year and uh, he did some really good things. And he is one of those guys that you can take time with a little bit. You can develop him. And, uh, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, they liked him. They spent that money on him the way that they did Marvin Wilson this year, uh, that those extra dollars mean something. He's the quintessential developmental cornerback. And I think they'll do everything they can to keep him around and get him up to speed this year. And, and again, another guy you can probably play around with on the practice squad and, and move him in and out like that if, if you need to. But as, as we talk about depth of that cornerback position, maybe he's, he's a name to keep in mind. All right, let's wrap up with a Baker question. Larry Thompson says, Hey, Mary Kay. Baker finally got a great coach and gave the Browns a great season. So his question is, can he even improve more in season two with coach Stefanski? And, and what does that look like? What does a better Baker Mayfield from last year look like? Yes, he can improve more because like I said, I think they've only really kind of scratched the surface with him on some things. I think you saw a, a lot of really great Baker stuff, obviously in the second half of the season, when you're throwing 20 touchdowns against only three interceptions in the final 12 games of your season, that's 
darn good football. So he's got to continue to not throw the interceptions. He's got to continue to read defenses and keep his nose in the playbook so he can play very, very fast. I wonder how teams are going to try to do, to defend him this year now that they've got that year of film on him in Kevin Stefanski's system. They're going to dig in there and they're going to say, oh, is he only rolling out to his left all the time? So, you know, let's try to take that away from him. Or, you know, can he not roll out the other way? Or, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to dig in and they're going to find the tendencies and the nuances of his, his game. So he's got to stay one step ahead of the competition. But just in terms of he's just got to do everything a little bit better than he did it last year. Just ball placement. You know, sometimes I think that is why some of the guys occasionally drop passes um, because sometimes I think he needs to vary the, the ball speed a little bit. Sometimes he can take a little tiny bit off the ball. He used to get really hyped up once he got into the red zone. He seems to have solved that issue for the most part. He's so much better in the red zone now than he was obviously in the first half of the season. But those are the kind of things, just touch on the ball, reading defenses, working on hanging on to it when, when he's you know on a keeper, when he's trying to convert a first down. You know, just, just a little bit of every part of his game, has to, he has to take it up a notch. Yeah, we've kind of reached the point where based on what we saw in the second half, it's just that incremental improvement and just doing mm-hmm. kind of those little things a little bit better. And if he plays like he did in the second half and gets better on that, now we're talking, okay, this guy's one of the best quarterbacks in football. Right. I mean, and I mean, that could happen. And I know the coaches feel that way. I know they are so excited about him. They see that the sky is the limit for him. And this year now, they'll be getting more input on play, you know, on plays from Alex Van Pelt, Chad O'Shea, Bill Callahan. I mean, these guys are all going to contribute to the offense. They've all been charged and tasked with bringing something different, bringing new eyes, bringing new plays. And we'll, we'll see that. And, you know, I think they're going to play more three wides this year. So it'll give him an opportunity to do a little bit more that way. I I think he's going to be really, really good this year. Yeah, it, it should be, should be fun to watch. All right. That'll do it for our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All those questions came from our Football Insider subscribers. So if you want to get involved, head to clevelandicom slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. And as always, we'll have a full week of podcasts coming your way. So make sure you're subscribed. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. And leave us some five-star reviews. I don't think we've been getting any reviews lately. So leave us some five-star reviews on on Apple Podcasts because we like to see those. Okay, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. 